As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I am Andy Bitter, your Virginia Tech football beat writer. Uh, we're turning this podcast from football into basketball this offseason. Uh, to help me out with that, we have Brendan Marks, our UNC and Duke basketball writer here as a co-host. Uh, Brendan, welcome back to the show. I have to ask you before we get into basketball, how much of the national championship game for football did you watch last week? Yeah, so I'm, I'm admittedly going to show my basketball bias here, but uh, I only made it about five minutes into the second half, and, and at that point, uh, I waved the white flag that I think Ohio State wishes they could have. So, um, you know, it, it, it was what it was. I watched almost the whole thing. I think I fell asleep with like four minutes left. Like I had a Diet Coke early, earlier in the evening just to try to get through this game, but I still couldn't make it. That's, uh, that's how old I'm getting at this point. Uh, I watched out of this like – morbid curiosity like when Alabama was really starting to blow them out I'm like I hope they just keep doing this and score more, like 70 more. points like like when Devontae Smith got hurt like it was a bummer because you don't want to see a guy get hurt but I'm like he could have had like 400 receiving yards in this game if they had kept going I was kind of I was kind of bummed that Alabama sort of ran the clock in the second half and didn't just keep going I was hoping Ohio State could have scored uh so they could keep running up the score but uh, sort of an anticlimactic end to the football season. Disappointed about that. I'm sad that football season is over. I mean, there's FCS football in the spring, but it's just that's not going to be the same. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy that. It's not the same. But I mean, and and you know, you mentioned it being anticlimactic. Uh, ha- had we had an 18 playoff, would the final result with Alabama as an overwhelming champion have any different? I'm I'm not so sure. Um, you know, you you saw a little bit more football this year than I did, but. Uh, in that half, I mean, the, the first half against Ohio State, that's that's as dominant a team as I've seen in the last you know decade probably, and and that's and that's counting last year with LSU. Yeah, some of those efficiency ratings are listing Alabama as the best team ever, so I'm I'm not going to argue with it. This is an ACC podcast, though, and all these ACC fans are like, enough. We, we put football in the rearview mirror as fast as any conference in the country. It's time to move on to basketball. Uh, we are in full swing in basketball. It's at the quarter pole of the season, if you want to call it that. There's so, so many postponements and cancellations, and I don't know how many games are going to get played that 
you know, if you've played five conference games out of 20 so far, I feel like that's more than a quarter of the way through the season of what you're eventually going to get. So I figured today we just sort of run through the standings, uh, talk about each of these teams uh, one by one, maybe not all of them at the end. Uh, apologies to some of the teams in the lower half of the, the, the standings here that might get short shrift. Our, our Boston College listeners are very upset. <laughs> yeah, so Wake Forest, Boston College, Notre Dame, apologies uh, to you guys near the bottom of the standings there. Probably not going to talk too much there, but... You know, I, I do want to start today with a team we didn't really hit on too much last week. We, we dabbled a little bit of basketball last week. Uh, this week at the top of the standings, uh, 4-0, number 16 in the country, Louisville. 9-1 in the conference, or 9-1 overall, 4-0 in the conference. They've won five straight. Their only loss this season is they got blown out by Wisconsin. Uh, and Wisconsin got blown out by Michigan last week. I feel like those r- results are going to happen every now and then in a weird season like this. But Louisville is a, a very strong team. Beat Virginia Tech 73-71 at home, Wake Forest 77-65. Uh, what do you make of this Louisville team? Is this, uh, you know, I look at the preseason predictions. They were picked fifth, uh, currently tied for first with Virginia right now. Is this a team that is a, a legit title contender here? I, I certainly did not expect Louisville to be in that mix, um, but it's sort of hard to argue with the results so far, right? I mean, um, when you're talking about teams that ha- have played to the maximum potential of their talent, I think Louisville, as much as any other team in the conference, has to be in that conversation. Um, and, and obviously, one of the big reasons why Louisville has sort of had this uh, outburst that may not have been expected is, is Carlick Jones's emergence. Um, you know, he has just been so electric as a scorer. Uh, I'm just looking here right now. In terms of fouls conceded, he's one of the most efficient players in the country. He has an incredibly high usage. He's playing a ton of minutes. Um, and the backcourt that Louisville has with him and David Johnson really gives you everything that you could ask for in a starting backcourt in this league. You know, Carlick is able of going off scoring. David's able of going off and scoring. Um, but also, David's a pretty good defender. You know, he's a guy who is probably looking like a first-round pick. So, um, that combination, I think, has just been so surprisingly efficient and surprisingly potent. Um, it, it's hard to count Louisville out the rest of the way as long as those two guys continue to play at this pace. Well, I have to correct you. I, I think it's Carleek Jones. Oh, oh, and excuse I, me. I, on, I only know this because he is a transfer from Radford. Very near to, uh, your, to your roots, and, yes. Uh, <laughs> and when the football season would finish here, we have another guy who covered men basketball for the uh, Ronald Times when I worked there. I would help out and kind of dabble in VMI and Radford basketball. So I covered Carleek Jones quite a bit. Did you really? Uh, yeah. I've, I've written a feature story on him, a, a kid from Cincinnati, I believe, that didn't really have any major offers when he was coming out of, of high school there. Uh, goes to Radford. He was really good right from the start. Uh, I mean, he was a guy that was a, a big contributor on that team. Hit the game-winning shot in the Big South tournament that sent them to the big uh, the NCAA tournament a couple years ago. I covered that team. They went to the first four in Dayton and won a game there, and then they went to the uh, the first round of the tournament, and they ran up against Villanova, oof, who just, oof. I mean, it was like a 40-point win or something like that. And, of course, at that time, I'm like, well, no no, no 16 seed is ever going to beat a one. I mean, what right. did you expect in this game? Then the next day, UMBC <laughs> beats Virginia. So that was kind of interesting. But, I mean, he was really the floor general of that Radford team. And, uh, they had, uh, it was a pretty good team, a team that, uh, you know, uh, gave some, uh, power conference teams trouble when they were playing them. I was very impressed with it. He was just seemed very mature 
from when he got there. And, and it's interesting to see him now go to Louisville. I think I read something about uh, him. He didn't want to go to Virginia Tech. He, he thought that would be disrespectful to just uh, try his hand at a Power 5 school just down the road from where Radford was. But uh, going to Louisville is an interesting one because I, I think Chris Mack was at Xavier when Carlique was coming out of high school in Cincinnati. I don't think he offered him out of high school like that. So this is sort of a second chance for Chris Mack there. Uh, I, th- I think it's a good opportunity uh, for them to be paired up like that again. Uh, do you think Louisville can keep this up? That, that's tough to say. I, I'm hesitant to say yes, um, although the results so far have been pretty encouraging. And the only reason why is, um, you know, transfers are obviously becoming more and more a factor in college basketball every single year. You know, the portal is uh, basically free agency light. You know, it's sort of a free for all. Um, you know, and, and for me personally, you know, I saw last year the uglier side of this when UNC brought in Christian Keeling and Justin Pierce and um, both are very nice guys, but were not quite ACC caliber players. You know, they were able to dominate their respective lower level conferences, but when they got to the meat of the ACC schedule, both of those two really struggled. Um, obviously, Carleek has not had that sort of wall that he's run into yet, but at the same time, I don't think that Louisville has fully gotten into the brunt of the schedule. So, you know, you mentioned that their only loss so far is to Wisconsin. That, not coincidentally, is the best team that the, the Cardinals have played. So, you look at some of the games they have coming down the pipe. They've got Florida State. They've got Duke. They've got Virginia. They've still got Clemson. They've got the brunt of their schedule still left in front of them. And so while, yes, it, it has certainly been encouraging what that backcourt's been able to do. Um, and, and also, side note, credit Chris Mack. You know, think about the guys that he lost, losing Jordan Wara, um, you know, losing Malik Williams, not having some of those bodies that he depended on so much last year. He has adapted and really leaned into this backcourt and given them a ton of autonomy, and it's working. Um, I'm just not so sure that when the level of competition rises that they're going to continue to be as efficient as they have been. Yeah, that uh, Monday matchup, I think it is, against Florida State, that should be a real interesting one for Louisville. They play Miami this weekend before they get to that. Uh, The other team that's 4-0 shouldn't surprise anybody in the ACC, Virginia, uh, the preseason pick. To win the ACC, uh, they've won four straight. Uh, they beat Notre Dame, Wake Forest, BC, and Notre Dame with a game against Virginia Tech postponed because of COVID. Uh, those teams are a combined 1-15 in <laughs> in the ACC. Now, I'm not going to say like, oh, this is a mirage that UVA is 4-0 like this. I, I think everybody expected UVA to be pretty good. But how good do we really think UVA is right now? I mean, beating these teams they should be beating probably should be 4-0 if, if that's the schedule they've played. Uh, is this a team that ha- still has a, a higher ceiling than uh, that you would imagine? I think so. And, and the main reason why I say that is because we still haven't seen, I think, the best of what this offense can be. And Tony Bennett's best teams have always been great defensively. You know, the pack line is suffocating, smothering, um, and what other, other words you want to throw in there from Roy Williams' vocabulary. He's got some creative ones over the years to describe uh, how Tony Bennett has sort of strangled the, the offensive pace out of his squad. But at the same time, you think about that championship team at Virginia a couple of years ago. It, it wasn't just the defense. You know, they had Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, Hunter. They had guys who could make shots when you needed to. And, and I think in Sam Hauser, they still have another guy sort of cut from that same cloth. And, and he, I still think, is figuring out his role. I, I was very encouraged, um, you know, the last time that Virginia played, Casey Morsell, who really, really struggled offensively as a freshman, had horrible efficiency numbers, sort of was in and out of the lineup. Um He's really sort of coming into his own as a secondary scorer for them. And 
Um, not not requiring a ton of looks, just sort of being able to play off the ball, um, taking his opportunities as they come to him. Uh, their offense is still good, but I think it has a chance to be even better. Their defense is always going to be good. Tony Bennett's not going to allow it to be otherwise. But as Hauser continues to come into his own, Jay Huff continues to come into his own. Um, you know, Virginia at its best, I think, is still a team that can make something of a tournament run. Um, but again, in adding a new piece this year in Hauser, who is such a big role for whatever they do, um, it's the same sort of situation you're seeing with the Dukes and the North Carolinas and the Kentuckys of the world. Teams didn't have exhibition games to iron out the kinks. Now they're being forced to do it on the fly. And Virginia, I think, to some extent, is still in that process. Yeah, Jay Huff's an interesting guy. He's progressed over his career, 12.9 points a game, two and a half blocks per game this year, too. I'm curious, your thoughts when you watch UVA. Uh, do you enjoy watching this kind of basketball? <laughs> That's, it's a tricky... I will give you a diplomatic answer, Andy. And I'll say yes, because I appreciate how well they take coaching from Tony Bennett. I appreciate how well they do what I know they want to do. Is it aesthetically pleasing? Not necessarily. Um, it's certainly nothing like the, the title team from a couple of years ago. But comparatively, when you look at some of the teams in the conference that are not doing what their coaches want them to do, you know, um, NC State, I think everyone was really encouraged by, and then Florida State sort of slapped them around. And I know we'll get to both those teams later, but um, there's, there's a clear dichotomy between teams that can do what their coaches want them to do and, and teams that are still figuring out exactly what their coaches want to do and how to do it. Virginia's already in that former camp. Um, now it's just about getting more and more efficient. So, no, Virginia basketball is not the pace and space modern offense that everyone wants to see, but um, I can appreciate the fact that they're dedicated to what they do, and it, it does kind of come through more than other teams. I have a soft spot for that style of play. I, I was a student at the University of Wisconsin. I'm going to date myself here. Uh, when I was in college as a junior, I became the men's basketball beat writer in 1999 and 2000. So that's how old we're talking about here. Uh, don't tell me how old you were. It's just going to depress me if that becomes the case. Uh, that was the head coach of that team was Dick Bennett. Uh, on the bench, team manager, uh, after finishing his stint in the NBA, Tony Bennett. Now, he wasn't a team manager in the sense of like, oh, I'm going to pick up a bunch of towels right. and stuff like that. I think they was essentially sneaking another assistant coach onto the bench. Uh, but that team made the Final Four. As an eight seed, I mean, it, it was unbelievable. I covered that whole run in Salt Lake City at, at first and then uh, the pit in Albuquerque after that and then the Final Four in Indianapolis where they lost to Michigan State. And I'm convinced if they had played anybody other than Michigan State and Mateen Cleaves and Morris Peterson and those guys, they would have possibly gotten to the, the, the championship, game, championship game. Yeah. I mean, Michigan State was the one team that just owned them all year and understood that style of play and stuff. But, I mean, it is a grinding style of play, but, like, when you watch it and the defense is just outstanding, I think you learn to appreciate it a little bit more. Uh, I know it's a casual fan, and I'm a casual fan of basketball now. I watch it, I'm like, oh, gosh, this is just... Could you guys make some shots? This is so boring to watch, but... Like, when you watch the intricacies of how they play defense and stuff like that, like, back in the day, they had this point guard, Mike Kelly, that was, like, uh, you know, for Wisconsin, that was, like, most steals in in uh, school history. And I don't even know if he could dunk the basketball. I mean, that was just sort of like, <laughs> like, they got that out of those guys. And I feel like Tony Bennett does it. Like, when they when UVA hired him, I'm like, they got to do. Like, he knows how to coach. Yeah. And that is going to – I didn't think it would be this effective. I didn't think it would be national championship caliber effective, but – 
man, I thought he would be a pretty good coach when he got there. What were your, I, I don't know how old you were when Tony Bennett first got hired by Virginia, but what, what have you thought about the job that Bennett has done there over time? Yeah, I mean, he's, he, I think it's not a stretch to already say that he's the best coach probably in school history. I mean, for the heights that he's been able to bring the program to. And I certainly didn't expect that when they were first hired. But when you look across the landscape of the sport right now, if you were picking coaches for like the next five years that, that you'd want in your pocket and you were saying, okay, these are the teams that are going to win the most, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Mark Few and Gonzaga. I'm looking at Jay Wright and Villanova. And then I'm looking at Tony Bennett in Virginia. I mean, they are that consistent. And also, you know, we talk about how they're still figuring it out a little bit offensively. Think about last season, what Virginia did. You know, Virginia was a bad basketball team in December, like bad, like even like take away the aesthetics of what Virginia basketball normally looks like and then make it like a splash of like YMCA basketball. Like it was that ugly at times. And over the last couple of games, I think they finished the year maybe eight and one tie for or, or one game out of winning the conference. Um, what he was able to do down the stretch with that group was just amazing. And I would expect a sort of similar deal this time around, you know, Kihei Clark, uh, his role is sort of in flux right now. Is Morcell legit? Is, is he someone who can do this on a consistent basis? Um, I think Tony Bennett is, is probably as good a coach as there is in the ACC. And, and people always talk about Roy and uh, Coach K as the two sort of hallmark coaches of the league. Tony Bennett is overdue for belonging in that conversation. He's, he's one of the best out there. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so confident in Virginia going forward. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. That program really feels recession proof. Like whatever happens in a given season, like who they lose or who they bring in, that's going to be a good team just because of the system they have set up. Right. I think that that's sort of the beauty of, of the pack line and, and how they teach defense up there. It, it's it, like I'm disappointed that the one game that I was really looking forward to Virginia Tech and Virginia playing got postponed. And that's the next team on the list. Virginia Tech at four and one. I think surprising. Uh, a few people with how they play. They were preseason pick number 11. Uh, these are their last three games. A close loss at Louisville, 73-71. Had a chance late in that game to win it. Uh, beat Notre Dame, 77-63. Just suffocated them in the second half. Blew them out there. And a 74-67 win against Duke that you were at, that Duke never led. I mean, Virginia Tech led that from start to finish. Uh, and was up really big in the first half. Uh, the Hokies have beaten Duke four of their last five in Castle Coliseum. So this wasn't like a new thing that happened with them. They've been a pretty competitive team uh, against Duke at home like that. I'm looking at the standings, and Virginia Tech is 3-0 and against teams in the AP poll this year. Uh, nobody else in the ACC has more than one win. They've beaten Villanova, Clemson, and Duke. That's 
a very good string of victories. This was Mike Young after the game. He said, I'm, I've got a pretty good team. Let's not beat around the bush. Like he was just sort of playing straight up just saying, this is a pretty good team. After seeing them in person the other day, what do you think of Virginia Tech? I'll be honest. I did not expect to come away from that game the other night liking Virginia Tech as much as I do. Like <laughs> they are a fun, fun team to watch and they're really freaking good. Like Mike Young is right. He's got a squad. Um, and I think the thing that's just so interesting about them is Mike Young sort of brought the same style that he played at Wofford to the ACC, which was an incredibly modern, uh, three-point happy style of basketball. You know, Virginia Tech doesn't really have a legitimate post player, um, and, and yet they basically out-rebounded Duke in the first half and were right neck and neck with him for the entire game. Uh, Keve Aluma has been sort of a, a, you know, I don't know if I'd call him a hidden gem because there were expectations, but... He's playing like a first-team All-ACC quarter forward. I mean, he, he is out of his mind right now. So when you combine someone like Aluma, who, who mitigates some of their rebounding concerns a little bit, gives them something of a post option, which they didn't have at all last year. And, and that's really how uh, you know teams late would, would beat them. Eventually, you wear them down. If shots aren't falling from deep, you just go to the inside, and, and Virginia Tech doesn't really have an answer. This season, they do have an answer. And some of these uh, guards and perimeter players that they have, you know, Mike Young said on the ACC teleconference this week, I don't know how someone guards Jalen Cohn in the perimeter. He's like 5'9 and, you know, maybe 175 pounds soaking wet. But uh, he is fast. And and you cannot stay in front of him. Certainly Duke could not stay in front of him. So um, guys like him who are so quick, so easily get shots off from the perimeter, you just can't not enjoy watching them play basketball. And obviously, Mike Young's a great coach. Like, he's a fun guy. Um, recruiting is something that I think is still a work in progress there. But he's proven, as he did at Wofford, that he doesn't need those elite, elite guys to be able to compete. And right now, uh, Virginia Tech is not a team that I would want to see if I'm coming down the ACC slate. They, they are a really tough, tough team to guard because of the offense they play. Five out, it's got to be a ton of fun to play in it, too. You mentioned nobody, uh, not many post players on that team. They do have a guy that sort of rules the paint in a non-traditional way in Tyrese Radford. I mean, the guy's 6'2". He's listed as a guard, and he's getting 6.4 rebounds per game. He scores in the paint all the time. He had 18 and 12 against Duke. I think Coach K said that they just couldn't stop him. Coach, I mean, K said he was, Coach K said he was the best player on the court. Forget all of his five stars. He said Radford was the best player. It's, it's interesting to see. He's such a unique style of player. I think he was up near the top of the country last year in field goal percentage. And you just wouldn't expect that from somebody who's six foot two. What, what was that like watching a guy like that uh, operate uh, down low and, and inside? He's perfect for this Virginia Tech team. I mean, they need rebounding. And for a guy his size to be able to do that, it, it's, it, I'd say this. It works twofold to Virginia Tech's advantage because one, obviously, they need someone to get boards. You know, they need to be able to get boards to prevent some of these bigger teams from getting offensive rebounding and second chance points. I'll, I'll be interested to see if the same strategy works against a North Carolina, for say, with its front court. But in addition to being able to grab those boards, because Radford, as you mentioned, he he's not a traditional post player. He can start the break right then. You know, he gets the ball in his hands. Boom, off. Here we go. Let's run down the court. And when he's able to initiate that fast break. It doesn't allow defenses to get set, and, and Virginia Tech scorched the earth in terms of Duke's transition defense. I mean, it, it would have been as effective to have you and I back there, Andy. I mean, we, we couldn't have stopped anything. So uh, he's such a fun player. Their whole team is full of fun players, but um, he especially sort of is like the missing ingredient because he does serve those two crucial, crucial functions of getting rebounds and then immediately initiating fast break offense. Um, 
if not for having a player like him, I, I don't think that Virginia Tech would be having the team success they are. And uh, yeah, all of his numbers are not going to be as gaudy as they were against Duke, but um, he's certainly like a, he's an all glue guy. You know, he makes everything else go for the Hokies. If there's one thing the Hokies haven't really done this year is take this act on the road and do it. They're 0-1 in road games. Uh, they'll have an opportunity here coming up. Three of their next four is on the road at Wake versus BC at Syracuse at Notre Dame. A lot of winnable games uh, in that stretch. This is a team that could be uh, sitting pretty if it gets to the midway point of the ACC schedule. Uh, this is the perfect transition here. We just talked about Duke. Uh, Duke, <laughs> I don't know what to make of this team. They're, they're, <laughs> let's see. They are... Three and one in the ACC, and yet I still don't have a whole lot of confidence in them. And if it didn't say Duke on the front of the jerseys, I think I'd be questioning them even more in this. Uh, they escaped against Boston College with a close win at home, one point win there, beat Wake Forest, uh, lose to Virginia Tech. Uh, it's a team that lost to Illinois and Michigan State early in the season. You've seen Duke all season, and I'm, I'm struggling to kind of to say ask a question about this team that isn't the same as what do you make of this team? But it's tough to figure out this team whether this is a, a real legit team or one that's uh, just missed a lot of time and is rusty. Or what is this team? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you're not sure what to make of Duke. I I think Coach K would probably agree with you. <laughs> I don't think he really knows what to make of it either, um, because on paper, it's it's a similar Duke team to some of. Coach K's more successful ones in the past. You know, all the five stars are there. The accumulation of talent is not the problem. It's much more a problem of how all of that talent fits. So at the start of the season, uh, Duke wanted to be a fast-paced transition team. Really, they wanted to play a lot like Virginia Tech does. Um, and the main reason why was because of the addition of Jalen Johnson, who is a 6'9 freshman forward. He's a projected lottery pick. Um, he's, a, he's a human bulldozer. I mean, Dudes are not supposed to be made as fast and as strong and as quick as he is. Um, and he's a really special passer. So there was this thinking that, okay, we'll play Johnson at the five, sort of a small ball five. We'll let him grab rebounds. We'll let him set the transition. Uh, and we'll sort of let everyone play off him. That did not work. <laughs> that failed spectacularly. Johnson, for as, as good a physical specimen as he is, still a little bit raw as a player. And I think that a lot of fans don't quite understand that. And so as a result, when Duke got into the half court anytime and he's got the ball in his hands, he didn't really know what to do or where to go with it. And so you saw everything grind to a halt. There was no movement. There was no penetration. And what you got was a lot of non-shooters settling for jump shots. That, again, was not working. That's why Duke lost to Illinois, lost to Michigan State. And, and basically around that point, the same time, as Duke was in the process of canceling its non-conference schedule, Coach K and his staff had to go back to the drawing board. And they said, all right, well, we, we've got to reimagine what we're going to look like if we want to have the sort of season that we think we can. And so that meant completely shifting the focal points of the offense. And so now, as you've seen the last couple of games, Matthew Hurt, the sophomore forward, is the number one offensive option for Duke. And everything that they do runs through and off of him. He's somebody who's he's a legitimate 40% three-point shooter. I, I don't know exactly what he's shooting this season, but um, he was the ACC Player of the Week last week, the Oscar Robinson Player of the Week. Um, he had a career-high 26. When he's hitting threes at the rate that he has been of late, it's incredibly hard to stop him offensively because he can hit the Dirk floater in the mid-range. He can score around the post. He got a little bit more muscle this offseason, and he can hit threes. Off of him, they have all their freshman guards sort of splinting off. Um, Johnson is still not totally back. He played four minutes against Virginia Tech. 
What this offense looks like is going to determine Duke's ceiling. The defense is fine. It's not great. It's not bad. It's fine. It's pretty good. Um, it's passable. It's good enough for Duke to be the sort of team it wants to be. The questions are all on the offensive side of the ball because Hurt has his limitations. He is not an incredibly quick player. The guards who play off him are good, but they're still freshman guards who are prone to bouts of streakiness. And then the big elephant in the room is when Johnson is back and fully healthy and, and Duke has a week off before its next game, how is the team going to reintegrate him? So what to make of Duke in the grand scheme of things? This to me, and, and this is basically what I wrote after the Virginia Tech loss, this is a team that looks like it's playing in November still. They don't have any of it figured out. And in January, you know, you mentioned we're at the quarter pole of the season. That's very troubling because you don't have as many games to get it right. You don't have as many games to continue working out these kinks. These are the games that matter. You can't keep dropping them. And I am nervous if I'm Duke. This is still a tournament team. Don't get me wrong. But anyone expecting more than a sweet 16 out of this group is is really banking on hope more than what they've shown on the court so far. Yeah, this just doesn't seem like a Duke team that scares you like past ones to have. I mean, like it's unfair to compare any team to the one that had Zion. But like right. when that came in, it's like, oh, man, we're in for it tonight. You do not get that sense uh, from this Blue Devils team. And uh, even if they sort things out, like Matthew Hurt is, is a very fine player. He, I still don't feel like he's a player that comes into your gym. And you're like, oh, man, we're in for it tonight from Matthew Hurt. Uh, moving on to the next team in the, in the conference, Clemson. Uh, 9-1 overall, 3-1 the ACC. They've won four straight, uh, beat NC State 74-70 last time out. This is an interesting team because defensively they are really, really good. Number one in defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. Uh, they play UVA coming up here, <laughs> which would be an interesting game. Is that the first one to 40 wins that game? Basically, yeah. <laughs> if you're counting if you're counting loose balls as points, then it might be a little more high scoring. But uh, I... You know, I'll expose myself here, Andy. I love Clemson. I still think they're the best team in the ACC. I think their defense is that wow, good. Wow, that I, is a statement. It that is. quite a statement. It is, and I'm, I'll double down on it. I still think that their defense is the most elite unit in all of the ACC college basketball. You know, um, there are some really good offensive teams. You know, Syracuse at its best is really good. Louisville has shown moments of doing the same. Virginia Tech, obviously. NC State, Um but Clemson's defense, I still think, is, is a notch above all of the rest. And the reason I say that is because they don't have a, a so-called alpha. Everyone on that team does the same thing. They all scrap. They all hustle. They all force turnovers. They all play into the press. And they have enough guys that they can play the press efficiently and effectively without compromising easy transition backets, without, without guys getting gassed. You know, like they have the bodies to make it work. And when you combine that with some of the offensive threats that they have, um, I'm a, a self a, a self professed Amir Sims. You know, I'm, I'm president of his fan club. Uh, I think he's awesome. You know, when, whenever NBA scouts come calling in the off season, I will be beating the drum for this dude. He's he's six eight and a half, and he can shoot, and he can dribble, and he can pass, and he can defend. I mean, he can do literally everything, and he's got a perfect body for it for the modern NBA. So um, I really really like this team that Brad Brownell has assembled. I'm not sure if the offense is going to be good enough to, to beat some of those high-caliber, high-scoring games, um, but that defense is good enough to shut down any other offense in the ACC, as we saw against NC State the other day. You might know this, but don't, don't look this up when I'm asking this. Uh, how, how many years has Brad Brownell been at Clemson? Oh, God. Oh, boy. It's, it is far more than people want to give a credit. Is it like nine? 
This is his 11th season. Oh, my God. At Clemson. He's made two NCAA tournaments in that time, and one of them was his very first season. Like, can you imagine another situation where you've been somewhere for 10 years, and in the last nine, you've made one NCAA tournament appearance, and you're still there? Like, I know there was always talk, like, oh, is Will Wade going to take over for him or something like that? And I wonder if it's just like Clemson is just so preoccupied with football that they're like, whatever, just do whatever you need to do with basketball. We don't care. We're not going to invest too much into that. But uh, it's such an interesting thing. Like, I don't remember. 11 years. Yeah. I don't remember Brownell's teams. Like, maybe I just have not paid close enough attention to Clemson basketball. But have they been this good defensively in the past? Is that like his calling card? Or has this been some transformation for this team? Well, I think uh, it definitely has not been his calling card let me say that um you know their their past teams that have been really good have been offensive teams you know you think back to some of those tournament teams uh the dante grantham uh michael you know gabe devoe teams those were scorers i mean those were guys who could put up 20 in any given game by themselves this group i think has leaned so heavily into the defense because they don't have that like i was saying they don't have that elite offensive option like sims is a really nice do everything piece but, but he's not like just a go-to score and, and they don't really have that on the roster. So um, in the absence of that, they've gone super heavily on defense. And like you mentioned, number one adjusted defense, defensive uh, efficiency rating per Kempom. And everyone on the team is capable of doing the same things. But I, I will say this, Andy, I think you bring up a good point. I think that Brad Brownell is one of the coaches in America who absolutely was uh, a beneficiary of the pandemic in some ways. Because had Clemson, you know, not had the, the budget shortcuts that they had that obviously every athletic department in the country is dealing with, there, there was serious talk about, is it time for him? You know, is this time for a new look? And um, because the football team just swallows up everything there, I think he's gotten a little bit more of a pass at times. Um, when, when football is constantly in the college football playoff, if basketball is not up to the same par, you can sort of understand it a little bit. But at the same time, you know, if not for the pandemic, I think there is a very legitimate chance that Brad Bennell is not at Clemson right now. And uh, he's doing what he did the last time he had a good team. I think this is a group that could potentially earn him a few more years worth of rope. Uh, it's just such a 11 years. Wow. I, I, I cannot get over that. That's very scary. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, we'll move on the opposite end of the uh, offensive-defensive spectrum, but somebody who has had much more longevity even than that, Leonard Hamilton at Florida State. Did you catch the the stats from this end game, this 105-73 win against NC State the other night? Uh, it was apparently the most offensively efficient day that Florida State's ever had, uh, according to Ken Palm, and the best major conference offensive efficiency in like four years. <laughs> I looked at this. They shot 70% from the field, 66% from three. They were 11 of 11 from the free throw line. They only had six offensive rebounds because they never missed. There was no reason to go out there and offensive rebound. Uh, Florida State's always a team that I've just enjoyed watching. Like, there's just something about the style of play that they have. They're all really tall guys. It's like it's like the old, like, uh, uh, 
Pat Riley ideal where you just want a bunch of six six guys that could run up and down the floor and defend and, and do everything. Uh, this is an interesting team to watch. It could be a fun team to watch. Uh, is this a team that could get up there to the top of the standings uh, with a little bit of time here? Oh, definitely. Definitely, Andy. And uh, for, for the record, I was sitting at the kitchen table eating dinner and the email hit my inbox uh, from NC State with, you know, pack, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the message, the rest of the message was obscured. And I opened it. I was like, oh, you know, did NC State beat Florida? Oh, my God, look at that score. Look at those numbers. Like, I mean, that was that was a murder. NC State was down 25 at the half. This is the worst halftime deficit that Kevin Keats has had since he's been at NC State. And this is arguably his best team. Um, it was the third best offensive output by an NC State opponent ever, ever. In NC State's entire history, this was the third best outing offensively from any opponent. And if that doesn't speak to the potential of Leonard Hamilton's team, I mean, nothing does. Um, they've got they've got a freshman sensation, Scotty Barnes. Um, for the money, I picked him as the ACC freshman of the year. I'm not sure he's going to win that award, but he is exactly what you mentioned. He's very much in the Leonard Hamilton mold. He's 6'9", can run the floor, handles the ball. Um, they list him as, as a guard at 6'9". So uh, that that's sort of the luxury that Leonard Hamilton is working with. Um, it's almost like the dude has a cloning lab down there. Like he just takes these six foot six to six foot nine bodies and just rolls them out on a conveyor belt every single season. Um, but with Barnes, with MJ Walker, some of the other guys that they have, um, they are always super big and, and dominant on the offensive boards. They've got some really good guys inside as well. Um, who just don't get as much attention. I, I, I think that this is a team that probably, if anything has, um, They've not met expectations in the first quarter of the season, but that game, I think, really opened a lot of eyes and, and showed the world what they're capable of at their best. I, I, it is unfair, unreasonable, and, and just wrong to expect that they're going to top 100 points and put on a clinic like that every single night. But when they do, they're impossible to beat, and, and I think they're capable of doing things like this. Not quite this, but like this on a much more consistent basis. Yeah, they're 2-1 in the ACC right now. These are their next three games. They host UNC on Saturday. They're at Louisville on Monday, and they host Clemson the following week. I mean, we're going to find out real soon uh, just how good this team is. And honestly, I look at the schedule. We might be talking about Florida State next time we get together as possibly the top team in the conference or one of the top ones here. Uh, I wanted to skip a couple teams in the standings. Apologies to Pitt and Georgia Tech here, but... I wanted to get to two teams that I find really interesting. I was looking, I saw a Joe Lenardi uh, bracketology uh, projection. I don't know how you can do any kind of projections this year. It's got to be impossible to do this. These are the seeds he had. He had Louisville and Clemson as fours. He had Virginia and Virginia Tech as sevens. I feel like this kind of disrespect for Virginia Tech. I agree, seven. I agree, yeah. Uh, Florida State at a nine, Duke at a 10, which is weird to see that next to Duke. Here's the uh, among the last four teams in at 11 seeds. UNC and Syracuse. Uh, let's talk UNC first. <laughs> they have won three in a row, uh, not by a landslide. A combined nine points, uh, they beat Notre Dame, Miami, and Syracuse by 81-75 win against Syracuse their last time out. Uh, this team is an amazing rebounding team. Tops in, in the conference and rebounding and rebounding margin. They cannot shoot. They just cannot score. They cannot shoot. Not at all. <laughs> they were five five for 24 on three in that Syracuse game. They're uh, 29% on three points this year, three-point shots, 14th in the ACC. 
Uh, 41.7% field goal percentage, 15th in the ACC, dead last. Uh, is this team going to be good enough to score at all? I mean, they, I guess if you miss and they get the rebound, that's good, but you got to eventually be able to score too. Right. It would be great if you didn't have to get every single rebound. It would be great if you could just make a basket or two. Uh, yeah, man, this is such a weird North Carolina team. Like, obviously, Roy Williams, Dean Smith, Bill Guthridge, like, the formula has always been the same. It's two bigs, it's inside out, it's Carolina break. Um, that is how this team wants to play. That's how Roy wants to play. And really, it's so frustrating, I think, for a lot of UNC fans because the pieces are there to play that way. Like, this is the deepest front court in the nation, in my eyes. You've got Garrison Brooks, who is the ACC preseason player of the year, who didn't even start a handful of games because he was in a little bit of a mini slump. And then the other three members of this front court rotation are all five-star guys, one of them being Dayron Sharp, who looks very much like a lottery pick right now. Um, and to say that about a traditional center, a guy who doesn't have a lot of three-point range, he's not stretchy at all, um, You know that, that really is saying something about his potential. So with all of those bodies, you would think, right? You would think that UNC runs its offense through the post because what team that they're going to play against can match that? What team can match them in terms of substitutions, in terms of available fouls, in terms of offensive rebounding? No one. But UNC doesn't run its offense through the post. It, it doesn't consistently lean on those big guys. And that's because all around the perimeter, it has freshmen who still very much are learning what it is that Roy Williams wants to do. So, um, you know, in contrast to a Tony Bennett team that is the embodiment of their coach on the floor, um, Caleb Love, who, you know, is as liable to go two for 10 as he is, four for 17. I mean, um, UNC's guards are currently prohibiting it from being a, the best version of itself. That's just the fat truth of the fact. And until these guards start feeding it to the inside more consistently, um, UNC is going to continue playing these gross, grinded-out games. And they're going to continue to be on the bubble. Now, I do think that there's a world where Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, um, R.J. especially, has started to come on as of late. But, but I think there's a world where these freshman guards realize, hey, we're shooting under 30% from the field. Maybe maybe we should not be taking the most shots on the team. I think that that world does exist out there, um, but it is not a world that UNC lives in right now. And until it does, it's a team that's going to continue to struggle with the Miamis and the Notre Dames and the Syracuses of the conference. That's It's it's just a, a glaring, there's a glaring juxtaposition and in, indifference of what this team should do and what it actually does. It's It's got to be... It's got to be aggravating for fans. My Twitter DMs say that it is, at least. <laughs> it's it's jarring to see a Roy Williams team be this bad offensively. Like, you think of his teams, they're up and down the floor, they're scoring all sorts of points. That was sort of his thing for so long. So to see this team just not really be able to figure it out on that side of the ball is very strange. Uh, moving to Syracuse real quick, uh, just here at the end. Uh, this is another team that you never know what you're going to get from week to week. I went back and I looked at ACC record for Syracuse since the 2014-15 season. 9 and 9, 9 and 9, 10 and 8, 8 and 10, 10 and 8 and 10 and 10. This is a 500 team in the ACC. It seems like yeah, I don't know the first four probably will be in Indianapolis as well this year and not Dayton, but it feels like Jim Beheim might want to like buy a timeshare in Dayton for how often they play in the first four or, or in that territory where they're going to be on the bubble. Uh, 
what do you, this team is so strange. I mean, they got five guys that are scoring in double figures. They can really they they have a great scoring margin. I think that's due to a lot of their non conference games, but. Uh, it just doesn't feel like this is going to be a team that's going to be much better than 500 in the conference again. It's one of those teams that is going to beat Virginia Tech on the road, beat Clemson on the road, and then lose at home to Boston College. It's going to be one of those teams. Um, yeah, I mean, Syracuse, like you mentioned, Andy, they've, they've got scores. They've got shooters. Buddy Baham, I, I think, had 18 in the first half against North Carolina. Um, Joey Girard, when he's hitting, you know, he looks great. Uh, they did lose Elijah Hughes, and, and he was such a big factor in everything they did last season. They bring in Alan Griffin from Illinois. Um, fun fact, his younger brother, AJ, is a top 10 prospect coming in next year. He'll be a freshman going to Duke. Uh, a lot of people are already looking at him as a potential lottery pick, but Alan's an incredible player in his own right. And it's it's just the inconsistency, and I think it goes back to their defense. You know, they, they're dedicated to the zone. Bayheim's always been dedicated to the zone. Um but whether it was zone, whether it was man, he just doesn't have a good defensive team. And so even a North Carolina team that, as we have mentioned, uh, you know, scores at the rate that a, a little league team does, they were able to pull out a six point win, you know, and, and that was more more emphatic a victory for UNC than had been against a really depleted Miami team just a couple of days earlier. So Syracuse at its best, I think, looks like this. You know, it's it's Buddy and it's Joe and it's Allen and they're all hitting from deep. And then on defense, they're getting just enough. They're getting just enough steals, just enough tipaways, just enough turnovers. That was the thing that was most surprising to me in the North Carolina game was that uh, the Tar Heels didn't have as many turnovers as they normally do. You know, this is one of the teams that is uh, the least careful with the ball in the ACC, and Syracuse really couldn't capitalize on that. So. Until the defense is better, until the zone is uh, totally fortified, and and I understand that Barama Sidibe has been out for a little bit. He's probably Syracuse, not probably, he is Syracuse's best interior guy. Um, he's been out for a little bit, tore his meniscus, I believe, back earlier in the season. When he gets back, the defense will get better, but I, I just don't see this being a team that's consistent enough on a night-in, night-out basis to really be anything better than a, a last four in sort of team. Yeah, I mean, if Jim Beheim doesn't already have that timeshare, I mean, Andy, drop your pitch, and, and the next time that Syracuse comes to down, get ready, because that's where they've been living the past five years, and it looks like they're going to continue to. Ah, lovely Dayton. I've been there once for that one first four that I covered. Is there a team that I have disrespected by not mentioning so far? This is your platform to to give a voice to the voiceless that <laughs> I've left out. <laughs> there, There is a team that you've disrespected, and that team is NC State. Okay. Um, NC State is, I understand that they are still scraping themselves off the road after Florida State ran them over. Like, that was not a good game in, in no way, shape, or form. But at the same time, when you look at this team and, and the collection of players that Kevin Keats has assembled, this is finally his roster. He has the players he's recruited. This is not, um, you know, for so many years, he had to live and die by the good Markel, bad Markel Johnson um, you never knew which one you were going to get on any given game. And, and that inconsistency, I think, really played the last couple of seasons of, of Keats's teams. He doesn't have to deal with that anymore. He's got, he's got some of the guys who um, he came in. He wants the, them to run the team a certain way, and, and they are. And the offense looks great. It's free-flowing. It's modern. Um, they have a ton of guys who could stroke it from deep. You know, even DJ Funderburk, who's more of a traditional big, uh, you know, he's, he's capable of setting out and knocking down some perimeter shots. So I think that NC State, again, you have to take, yes, take, take the loss to Florida State for what it was. 
It was bad. It was ugly. It's it's not going to look good. But as we mentioned, Florida State is a team on the upswing, and I'm still really buying NC State as a potential tournament team. I just think their offense is that good, and, and in Manny Bates, they have arguably the best shot blocker in America. So when you combine that offense with Bates, who does make things difficult defensively, um, I really like the team that Kevin Keats has assembled. I think that this is a team that's uh, still on the rise. Again, they've had some guys in and out because of COVID, in and out because of injuries. Uh, but I really like NC State. And, and again, it's another one of those fast-paced, high-scoring teams like Virginia Tech that can give anyone trouble on any given night when things are going the right way. All right, give us one game you're looking forward to this weekend. It's it's that UNC Florida State game for a couple of different reasons. You know, I think for for the UNC side of things, it is right. Okay, so we beat Syracuse. They're a 500 team. We beat shorthanded Miami. We're on this little bit of a streak. Florida State is much more legit than any of those teams. So for UNC, I look at this as a proving ground of sorts. You know, can we really hang with the top teams in our conference? Do we deserve to be included in that conversation? Right now, I would say no. But when at Florida State sorts of start to change that picture, and I think a win in Tallahassee would do a ton for the confidence of the young players UNC has. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, we talk about Florida State ascending. To be able to do that, you have to deal with all of the various gimmicks that get thrown at you. And, and North Carolina's front court is something of a gimmick. Um, it's going to make rebounding hard. It's going to make life hard. But knowing how impressive and, and really nuclear hot Florida State can get from deep. Um, I think that's going to stress UNC's defense. I think they're going to have some success. I, I think this is an opportunity for both teams to make a statement. Um, and I think that ultimately Florida State will win the game. And if they do, I, I think it's just a continued proof of the evolution we're seeing Leonard Hamilton's team go through. Yeah, I think I, if I was going to mention a game that was probably the, the best teams they're matched up, UVA at Clemson, but I don't know if I necessarily want to watch that exactly, game. Exactly, right. So, slow. <laughs> so I'll be I'll with you. I'll say UNC versus Florida State. Well, Brendan, we have uh, run the gamut on this one. We have talked about everything. So we're going to wrap it up here. That's going to be another show in the books. Uh, thanks for joining us this week. If you have not gone onto your Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, go there and rate and review us. We're going to do this every week, so we like to get good reviews. Go there, give us a five-star rating. We'd love to get the word out on it. If you're not subscribed to The Athletic, why are you not subscribed to The Athletic? That's my biggest question for you. Go do that. We always have deals going on. Go to theathletic.com slash pod. You'll find out the best deal we have going on. You can listen to this podcast ad-free on that. Uh, go follow me on Twitter. I'm at AndyBitterVT. Follow Brendan at Brendan R. Marks. Sounds like he has a pretty interesting story coming out uh, next week. I'm not going to spoil it. It sounds like it's a big surprise. I don't want to spoil it at all. But we will talk about that next week on the podcast, including all the games this week. Uh, we'll talk to you then. Bye.